Let's pray and we'll get into our text. Father, we, we are grateful that you are the God of all mercies and that you do comfort us in all of our affliction with the comfort that we have received from you so we can comfort other people as well. And we're thankful that um, we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you have canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and have taken them out of the way and nailed them to the cross. And even when we are faithless, you remain faithful for you cannot deny yourself. And even though we fall, yet we stand because you are able to make us stand. Father, as we come to your word this morning, may we understand the text better. May we understand its implication for our lives And may the result be that you are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned earlier in the series, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking, a longtime professor of mathematics at Cambridge University. I think he's now retired. Really an arch enemy of God and the truth who wrote a book in 2010 called The Grand Design. The The title of the book implies that there is a designer. Uh, because to design something requires intelligence, a plan according to the dictionary is a, a drawing or a plan produced to show uh, show the look and function or workings of something before it is built or made, end quote. So when you look at creation, when you look at the universe, you see design. It's everywhere. Uh, and yet at one point in the book, Hawking makes the brazen statement, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing, why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God or to set the universe going, end quote. So what we have here is we have in argumentation what is called the big lie. The big lie is when you make a very bold and brazen and authoritative and definitive statement that isn't true. Uh, for instance, when Satan said to Eve, surely you shall not die. That is called the big lie argument. And Hawking has no proof the universe came from nothing and then created itself. He has no proof that gravity is God and never explains where gravity came from. He starts with an effect rather than a cause and spews his big lie and thousands receive it as truth. And then they adopt his destructive life has no meaning philosophy, which means I can kill you. As a matter of fact, I should kill you and steal what you have. Because after all, it's survival of the fittest. So if I ambush you first, that makes me more fit. I can commit any crime, uh, commit any act of immorality or any act of wickedness I want because there is no God who judges sinners. There is no heaven and there is no hell. Yet the Bible is clear about such worldly wise men. Psalm chapter 14 verses 1 through 6 speaks of them. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is none who does good. 
The Lord has looked down from the heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become uh, corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the name of the Lord? There they are in great dread. For God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. God says that anyone who denies that he exists is a fool. Fools have been around for a long time. Spouting their big lie that God does not exist. And when they die, as Christopher Hutching, another God-hater recently did, they are convinced by experience that he exists and that there is a hell and a heaven. Their lives are full of corruption, evil, wickedness, and they practice the survival of the fittest philosophy. They even afflict the afflicted. The Bible teaches us, though, that God is the grand designer. God not only designed everything, but created the heavens and the earth and all they contain, even Stephen Hawking. And this morning, we return to the creation week where we've been looking at just how incredible creation is. Uh, You know, we read Genesis 1, and he made this, and he made that, and a lot of times we don't stop to consider what he actually made and how incredible it is and how this should affect our life. And so I've been endeavoring to try to show you just the grand nature of God's creation and, and that you should see it as the great marvel that it is and give God glory because of it. We learned that at the beginning, everything was formless and void. God created uh, elements and then he fashioned the world, uh, uh, the sphere of the earth into a ball, covered it with water, hung it in the black deep of space. He then caused light to shine all around it. We don't know where the source was. We know God caused the light, but whether it was shining from the person of God himself or just from nowhere, we don't know. There was nothing else that it could have shined from. We know that in the eternal state, God, there is no sun or moon and God himself is the light. So it kind of goes back to that same place. We also know that he gathered that light into one location so that it would shine on half of the earth and then began the earth spinning on its axis. So it experienced night and day revolutions, 24-hour periods. We also know that he created the moon and the stars and the, the, the heavens. Uh, uh, we know that uh, he created the atmosphere and then he separated the waters below from the waters above the atmosphere so that the earth at that time was like a huge greenhouse, a tropical paradise and And that is where all the vegetation from the coal deposits and oil deposits and, you know, we get our gasoline and natural gas come from. Uh, It's fun to talk to people where, where did all the, you know, all that plant matter? How did that all get buried under hundred feet, hundreds of feet of sediment laid down by water? How did all those plants bury themselves like that? What happened to the flood? 
course, God created dry land. Uh, he caused the land mass, maybe one huge continent. We don't know, or maybe several. We don't know what it looked like below, before the flood as there's been the tectonic shifts and continental drift and things like that. We know it was probably relatively flat and not too mountainous because the Bible says that water flowed up from the ground. There was the, the, the land masses were underneath them, a huge labyrinth of, of tunnels and, and subterranean water passages. And so uh, apparently when the moon would draw upon them, it would, like the tides, flow up from the ground, water the plants, and go back down. And so the earth was just, just this incredible kind of huge hydroponic garden. And we know that when God made... The moon and the stars, it was just for incredible purposes. Some we know of, some we don't know of, but not to worship, not as sources of day-to-day revelation. The rotation of the earth gave us days, the orbit of the moon months, the orbit of the earth around the sun years, and the sun orbits around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at every 240 million years. The entire universe is like a finely tuned clock. It's this huge instrument, and there's no connecting wires, and it's designed, and it functions with absolute precision. And God did all of this, and all the work of his hands. And we talked about how massive the universe is. It's just mind-blowing how big it is. Stars that are billion times larger than our sun. And our sun is huge. Single galaxies with a hundred trillion stars in them. And there's so many galaxies we can't count them. Not stars, but galaxies. And all of this God described in the Hebrew text with two words, which in English would be translated, and the stars. That's it. As if it was kind of inconsequential to what God was really going to tell us about, which was really cool. And what is most amazing is the Bible describes God as being so huge that the heavens and the highest of heavens cannot contain him. And yet, at a point in time, God not only created life on the earth and created man, but when man rebelled against him, God humbled himself. Though he was with glory with the Father uh, in eternity past, he, he humbled himself, shrunk him down, entered into that virgin's womb so he could live a perfect life and give himself up as a sacrifice for sinners, rise from the dead so we, through faith in him, could receive the free gift of eternal life. And now forever and ever on in eternity, Jesus will always be clothed with humanity. We will always see him, a physical demonstration of his love for us in confining himself to a human body. We have learned many things about God's creation. And these, of course, are designed to give us Give God praise through us because we are the creatures who can worship him. Dogs don't worship God. But because we are created in, in God's image, we worship him. He wants us to see the amazing nature of his creation. And he wants praise and worship because of it. This morning we come to the first animals or living beings that God creates and uh, you know he has set in the first three days he kind of made spheres he made 
he made kind of land, water, and atmosphere. Three spheres that he is going to populate with living creatures. And so this morning we begin to see that he is going to make some, some animals, some living creatures. He's made plants which are living, but these are different. So look in your Bibles at Genesis 1 and follow along as I read verses 20 through 23. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. What I want to show you from our text is just three things God did uh, during this um, fifth day of creation. Some of the purposes of it, uh, of course, to provoke in us praise, worship, admiration. And uh, if we don't know Jesus, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. First, God created the creatures of the water. Evolution teaches that... uh, from some sort of primordial soup where there was no oxygen. There was a zap and some amoebas or whatever. Bacteria has got formed and instantly oxygen was present. <coughs> and, um, and that these, you know, little tiny creatures grew and kept having mistakes and more mistakes gave more mistakes until they became fishes and things and slowly grew up until the fish got tired of being wet all the time. So they crawled out on land and started breathing air. And and then they crawled into the trees and became mammals and, and dropped their tails. And here we are. But that's not what the Bible says. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 39, as he's speaking of our resurrection and our glorified bodies, says all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. He goes on to say that when we receive our glorified bodies, our glorified bodies will be different still. But animals are not persons. Our great grandparents are not apes. Fish were fish from the beginning. Birds were birds from the beginning. Land animals have been land animals ever since they were first created and have never changed into anything else. The only change that has happened since creation is we've gotten dumber. So dumb we believe that things came from nothing. We only use about 5% of our brains. It makes me wonder... I think some people use far less than that. But early on, men in their perfect sinless condition would be using 100% of their brain capacity, virtually remembering everything they ever saw, living for great ages of time in a perfect environment with increased oxygen and perfect nutrients. It was incredible. And look at verse 20, when God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And just stop there. Verse 20 begins with the oft-repeated phrase, then God said, which, of course, 
is when God speaks things out of nothing. Ex nihilo, it appears 10 times in Genesis 1. And what God first said on the fifth day is, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. The phrase team with swarms in the Hebrew is really swarm with swarms. Um, the same word is used twice. The word the team or swarm means to, to breed or increase or multiply abundantly. It just, it just tells us that when God spoke, that he didn't make two plankton. He filled the oceans with them. Huge swarms and schools of fish. The word creatures is pretty interesting. It's the Hebrew word nephesh, the word that's often translated soul. And people have understood this word to mean the immaterial part of man. And in some contexts, it seems that that might be the case, but not here in Genesis 1, because the animals are described as nephesh souls or beings, really, is the better translation, living beings. Uh, it's used of humans in Genesis 2, verse 7. And in our text, it speaks of fish. So we know that the nephesh, at least in our context, speaks of the totality of uh, a living creature, whether it be a man or a fish or a bird or beast. This God created vast varieties of fish. Most of us have probably watched nature programs where you see fish just in these huge schools circling and, you know, and they all know how to, to go in the same direction. And I don't know how, but they all know when to turn at the exact same time. Uh, they learn that in schools. Um, the waters of the world, both fresh and salt, contain vast numbers of fish, some small, like anchovies that, you know, weigh an ounce, and, and others that are just gigantic, like the 1,500-pound bluefin tuna. There are jellyfish and tiny plankton and, and uh, swimming mammals like bottlenose dolphin. Uh, there are flying fish. When I was in Hawaii and uh, the flying fish, of course, they cruise around. And uh, when your boat is tilting on a swell, they land on the deck. So every morning we get up and throw the flying fish off the deck. But they're cool. It's neat to see them in the water, how they, they fly. They shoot out and fly. The fish fly. It's amazing. It's They have wings like aircraft that we create today it's 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 incredible there's all kinds of things you know deep down in the uh, the ocean you know they have those vessels that go way down there and take pictures of things that look like some guy designed them for a horror movie i mean big old needle sharp fangs and you know big bulging eyes and it's like whoa god made them There's eels and corals and starfish and sea cucumbers and crabs and sea urchins and seahorses and sea anemones and octopus and and, and the list goes on and on. There's octopuses that dig themselves into the sand and and turn their limbs into look like snakes to keep things away from them. There's some 240,000 different kinds of sea creatures that are registered in the World Registry of Marine Species and every year new species are found. There's 354 different kinds of shark, from little six-inch sharks to, you know, 20-foot scary great white sharks to 45-foot plankton-eating whale sharks. You step back, you look at the variety of the animals that God created, their shape, their color, their size, the way they reproduce, they eat, they fit into the overall underwater ecosphere. It's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. I was watching a little deal on a pistol shrimp. Pistol shrimp, you know, they, they click their things. They got this, they got the little clickers, you know, they got, they get the little pincher and they, they talk to each other. They're like underwater crickets. 
But that's not the most amazing thing. Not only can they communicate with some sort of, you know, shrimp Morse code. They also are able to cock that clicker and snap it so hard it creates a bubble, a small bubble for just a fraction of a second underwater whose core temperature is the temperature of the sun and sends out a sonic blast and just knocks whatever it wants out so they can just go over there and eat it. What is that? There's the angler fish that has long, thin, you know, fishing pole coming out of its head with a little worm on the end. Well, of course, it lives so deep in the sea that nobody can see the worm. So I don't know how this happens, but the angler fish convinces glow-in-the-dark bacteria to inhabit the worm so that it can draw things in. And when a fish is interested in the glow in the dark worm and gets close pretty soon, it just disappears almost instantly. The fish sucks it in so fast that it's just like, poof, gone. What's really weird about the anglefish is how they reproduce. You do not want to be a male anglefish. <laughs> anglerfish are, they're scary, I'm telling you. They swim up to the side of the female and just bite. And then the female begins to grow around the male. And the male is absorbed into the side of the female and actually becomes an appendage, like an extra fin. That's scary. (laughs) And we've watched these programs where we see these things and we see that God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful. And when he says, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, he, he just blows out all these designs, each one different. Amazing, amazing creatures. And look at verse 21, where we are given a little more detail. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm after their kind. The great sea monster is a word that speaks of very large creatures that live in the water. Some translated serpent or sea dragon or whale. It refers to all the larger creatures God made. The really big ones. This would include like giant squid. You know, 40 feet long. How would you like to have a giant squid grab you? You want to go swimming at the beach? Whales, the largest being the blue whale, grows 100 feet long, weighs some 200 tons, has arteries in it that are so big you could swim in its arteries. Not that I would recommend it. There's the 56-foot-long giant oarfish, which looks like a huge silvery ribbon. There's the giant sunfish, which at birth is one-tenth of an inch long and then grows to 4,000 pounds, 60 million times its original weight. What if you weighed 60 million times your original weight when you were born? That would be scary. We need some massive pews. And then there's the lion's mane jellyfish that is about 18 feet across at the bulb and has tentacles 50 feet long. How'd you like to jump into one of those when you're swimming? But even though the creatures that are out there, and there's some huge ones, even though those creatures are, are big and very impressive and scary, in Britain they found some fossilized remains of a now extinct sea creature called the 
pliosaur that was over 50 feet long had eight-foot-deep jaws and weighed approximately 25 tons. Keep in mind that great white sharks, big ones, are three tons. One scientist said it was a, quote, ferocious creature and so powerful it could have bitten a car in half and had a Tyrannosaurus Rex for breakfast, end quote. Then there's the Ichthyosaurus, was another monster of the water that God created 50 feet long, some 30 tons. One kind of um, uh, Plesiosaur, the Mauiosaurus, reached lengths of 66 feet and weighed an estimated 10,000 pounds. Believe me, swim, swimming after the fall must have been scary. When those creatures started saying, hey... We don't like you anymore. I mean, it would be scary in a boat. Turn to Job chapter 41, Job 41, where one of these creatures is described. It's called the Leviathan in, in Job 41. It could have been, you know, the plesiosaur or whatever, I don't know, um, some other creature. But this is... This is certainly God's biggest, baddest creature. This is the one that God, you know, if God gets proud about a creature, this is it. He, he, if you remember the story, Job is a righteous man. And so God allows Satan to attack Job. So he loses everything, but Job still worships God. And then he allows him to take Job's health, but Job still worships God. And then he lets Job's friends pick on him for a long, long time and accuse him of sinning when he didn't. And he still praises God. But during the process, he's starting to get tired. He's starting to get worn out. And he starts saying things like, well, if God was here, I'd argue my case. I'd plead with him. I'd talk to him. I'd say, listen, pal, listen, I'm suffering and you know, I didn't do anything wrong. So God grants him his request. It's kind of a bad thing to assert. But anyways, God appears to him in a whirlwind and begins to ask Job just tons of questions that Job can't answer in order that Job would realize that he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what God knows and God knows. And he's a trust him. And so in Job 41, God decides to Focus on one creature. This is his granddaddy creature. This one and another one called the behemoth, which we'll look at later. But um, Job 41, just, just listen to the, You know, you can either read along or just listen to this creature that God describes. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you or will he speak to you in soft words? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you bind him for your maidens? God is being very sarcastic here if you haven't picked it up. Will the traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him and remember the battle and you will not do it again. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he dares arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? It's like Job's just taking it now from the Lord. 
He says, you know, Leviathan, Job, you know, you've seen them, right? You know how big they are. Remember how everybody just kind of just leaves them alone. You ever try and deal with them and you'll never do it again. And I created that punk creature. Verse 11, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silent concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or the orderly frame. Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth? There is terror. His strong scales are his pride shut up as with a seal. No one is so near to another that no air can come between them. They're joined to one another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. He sneezes, flashes forth fire, and his eyes are like eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, the flame goes out from his mouth, and his neck lodges strength and dismay leaps before him. I mean, he's saying, oh man, his eyes are like the morning sun, these dark yellow eyes. And when he breathes, fire comes out. He's like a giant bombardier beetle. You wonder where all those stories of dragons spewing fire come from? They come from dragons that spew fire. And its skin is described as just having double mail, overlapped, interlocked, double mail that cannot be pierced. You cannot hook him. You cannot harm him in any way. 23, the folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty fear because of the crashing, they are bewildered. The sword that reaches him cannot avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He regards iron as straw, bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned into stubble before him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. He laughs at the rattling of the javelin. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads out like a threshing sled in the mire. He makes the depths boil like a pot. He makes his the sea like a jar of ointment behind him. He makes a wake to shine. One would think the deep to be gray-haired. Nothing on the earth is like him. One made without fear. He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. I mean, he moves. It's like a submarine went by. He's huge. He just churns up the sea. And God made that one of his sea creatures. God's biggest, baddest sea creature, the Leviathan. And on the fifth day, God spoke all the creatures from tiny plankton to the great and terrible Leviathan into existence. They might fill the waters of the world. The sea was full of creatures, each fearfully and wonderfully made, but that's not all. Secondly, God created creatures of the air. Look at the middle of verse 20. Let them let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. Remember, there's three different ways heavens use. Heavens, the atmosphere. Heavens, outer space. Heavens, the abode of God. Here we have heavens, the atmosphere. 
Think of all the different kinds of birds there are. I mean, just think about the ones you've seen. Pictures or and nature programs. There's over 10,000 kinds of bird species in the world. Think about how they're all different sizes and how they all do different things. Uh, you know, ponder a tiny little hummingbird. We've all seen them on flowers or in a hummingbird feeder. And just think of one of those next one, ostrich. I mean, just think about it. When we were in New Zealand, we learned of a bird called a moa, similar to an ostrich, but bigger. They reach 12 feet in height. A basketball hoop is 10 feet. Think of a bird two feet higher than that. They weighed 510 pounds. The moa used to exist in New Zealand until about 1900. About 30 of their eggs exist in museums today and are the size of footballs. It gives a whole new meaning to a one-egg omelet. <laughs> and then there's birds of prey and eagles and hawks and falcons and scavenger birds like the California condor. I didn't know this, but uh, um, on the edge of the, the Snake River, there's the... There's this uh, bird sanctuary where they get birds of, it's called the Birds of Prey Sanctuary, and they actually raise birds and they, they, they do it in such a way that the birds never see the humans and they're facing out. And most of the California condors are actually in, in Idaho um, being bred so they can try to repopulate them. And just think of turkey buzzers. If you've ever looked at a turkey buzzer up close, it's scary. I guess if you're going to thrust your head into a dead carcass, you need to have a face like that. But man, they are, they're ugly. When we were in Australia, I looked out the window and I saw this incredible bird. I thought, what is that? It was just amazing. It was a, a, about a foot tall. It was a parrot and it just had every color on it. it was, I looked it up. It was called a rainbow lorikeet. And think of toucans, giant bill. Why have a bill that big and striped? I guess so you can have Fruit Loops. I don't know. <laughs> and think about pink flamingos and where they nest. They breed in the toxic waters of the sulfurous mountain lakes of the Andes in South America. Pink flamingos. And if you ever have seen a pink flamingo do its dance where they all get in a huddle and all turn their head this way and that way, you know? 500 flamingos. All the, da, 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 da. You know, what is that? What's that? And then there's the hoatzin or stink bird, which has claws on uh, the tip of its wings when it's long, young, or the nocturnal kiwi bird, or the frog mouth bird, or the helmeted horn bill, which looks like a big shoe on its head. It's weird. Have you ever seen a superb bird of paradise attract a female? It is amazing. You got this little bird. It looks kind of like a a black bird. And it transforms itself into an oval with a fluorescent, a black oval with a fluorescent blue, like a neon blue smiley face with eyes and dances around. It's It's amazing. And then there's the Quetzal, the shimmering green wonder, just really gorgeous with three foot long tails. There's the the lyre bird. I like the lyre bird. 
it, it, it's, it kind of has a peacock type tail that it sticks over itself and does its little dancey thing, but it also mimics the sound of the 20 other birds that are in its habitat can make the identical same sound. Not only that, when photographers sneak up on it and they take pictures of it, it makes sounds of an auto wine camera. Back at them. If it hears a car alarm, it makes car alarm sounds. If it hears a chainsaw, it makes chainsaw sounds. Whatever sound it hears, it, it can do it. The liar bird. You go out, you think, man, every guy's out here logging. No, it's just a liar bird that heard someone logging. And in addition to all the birds that are in the world today, some have gone extinct and some that went extinct a while back, like the pterodactyls are creatures that look like the cross between a pelican and a lizard and a bat and a bird. I mean, they're just weird. It's kind of no feathers and, you know, rows of 90 teeth, five foot across. You think, man, that, you know, I don't want to come across one of those. But that's nothing compared to another bird called the Quetzal. Colossus, um, named after the Aztec god. It had a wingspan of 36 feet, weighed about 200 pounds, is the largest, largest flying creature uh, God made that we know of. It is thought that the existence of these creatures uh, still existed in the early history of the American Indians and gave rise to their Thunderbird uh, legends. In April 1892, cowboys in Arizona killed a giant bird-like creature with an enormous wingspan and smooth skin, featherless wings like a bat and a face that resembled an alligator. This was before they knew anything about the Quetzalcoatlus. They probably killed the last one. It's just amazing to think how God made all of these things. And when he says, and yeah, he made creatures to fill the expanse of the heaven. Okay, moving on. No, 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 don't move on. Look at the middle of verse 21, where we are told that God created every winged bird after its kind. You know what happens when you have birds and you wait a long time for them to evolve? They never do. They only produce birds after their kind. God made them that way. They never involve into anything else. It never happens. You've probably read or heard about the Galapagos finches that Darwin uh, kind of made famous. Uh, Darwin's finches or some finches. They're all kind of the same finches, but their bills are different. He said, aha, they're changing into something else. No, they're not. They're finches. What happened is, is there's different food sources on the island and some during drought years, plants with smaller seeds don't reproduce enough seeds and the, the birds with the smaller bills who can only eat the smaller seeds uh, only have large seeds to eat. They can't get their bill around them so they starve out. And the finches with the big bills, the stronger beaks can break the bigger seeds and eat and so they flourish. And when they have chicks and those chicks have smaller bills, they die out too. Unless there's a change in the weather, weather pattern. And after all that happens, they're still finches. They never turn into dogs or cats or lizards or any other thing. They're finches at the beginning and finches at the end after their kind. And you need to understand that there's a difference between the two general categories of what is called macroevolution and microevolution. Because those terms are often thrown out. And they're often confused on purpose so that you think they'll talk about microevolution to get you to try to swallow the bait of macroevolution. 
Macroevolution is when one kind of animal changes into another kind. Macroevolution has never been observed, never will be observed. There's no evidence at all in the fossil record that has ever happened. In order for it to happen, intelligence has to organize the DNA of the creature in such a way that it becomes something else. Of course, that never happens. Finches produce finches. Kiwi birds produce kiwi birds. Pistol shrimp produce pistol shrimp. They produce after their kind. Now, when intelligence intervenes, things can change. Uh, you've probably heard of a chimera, Greek mythology. A chimera was uh, a lion creature. Uh, or chimera, I think. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but something like that. Um, a lion with a goat head coming out of its back and a tail of a snake. It's kind of a, a morphed creature in Greek mythology. And you may think of that and go, wow, the, 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 those chimeras, they don't, they don't, they don't really exist. Yes, they do. I mean, not that exact one. Al Mohler quotes William Sulatan in the Washington Post, quote, We've been transplanting baboon hearts, pig valves, and other animal parts into people for decades. Maybe one of you has one. We've derived stem cells by inserting human genomes into rabbit eggs. We've created mice that have human prostate glands. We've made sheep that have half-human livers. Last week, Britain's Academy of Medical Sciences reported that scientists have created thousands of examples of transgenic animals carrying human DNA, according to the report. The introduction of human gene sequences into mouse cells in vitro is a technique now practiced in virtually every biomedical research institution across the world, end quote. Scary, huh? Sultan goes on to say, quote, so far, our mixtures are modest. To make humanized animals really creepy, you'd have to do several things. You'd increase the ratio of human to animal DNA. You'd transplant human cells that spread throughout the body. You'd do it early in the embryonic development so human cells would shape the animal's architecture, not just blend in. You'd grow the embryos to maturity, and you'd start messing with the brain. We're doing all of these things, end quote. Guys are going, let's see if we can make a new animal. Let's do some gene splicing. Make chimeras. But the point is, is it takes intelligence to do that. It never happens by accident. The other kind of evolution, which is really not evolution at all, microevolution. Just think of microevolution as variation within a kind. I've used this example before because we all understand all the different kinds of dogs. There are Pekingese and Great Danes and Chihuahuas and slobbering, you know, brutes. I just some people love their dogs, you know, St. Bernard's drooling all over their furniture. Um, I, I do not love them that much. I like them outside. Killing other creatures <laughs> that eat my garden. Um, but th- there's all kinds of dogs, right? There's, we know there's all kinds of dogs. Just think of all of them. You take all the dogs, you stick them into a big pen, feed them, give them water. After multiple generations, they become one dog. One dog kind with the variation to become all the ones that we have purposely bred. 
When you, when, when you breed a dog, you want to make a new dog, you just start saying, okay, here's a dog. I kind of like this feature on it, so I'll get it and find another one similar, and you breed them. Then you look at their puppies and say, you know what? This one here kind of looks good, and this one here, let's breed them. And so you start interbreeding dogs with the characteristics you want. You keep isolating certain um, characteristics so that the DNA becomes less complex, so it de-evolves until you have you know, a dachshund, a wiener dog, which most people don't know are also badger hounds. They're actually made, the reason they're so stubby is that they can go down to a badger hole and drag out a badger for hunters. They kind of look placid, don't they? They're mean when they get around badgers. They're made that way. But when you start messing with that, when you, when you narrow down the variety that God has put in the DNA and you narrow it down, then you have all kinds of problems. That's why everybody knows if you want a low-maintenance dog, you get a mutt. You want a high-maintenance dog, you get a purebred. Why? Because in narrowing down by isolating breeding and over the time, you weaken the creature. You make it less able to live long and prosper until you get down to the lowest kinds of dogs there are, which are poodles. Maybe chihuahuas, hairless chihuahuas are pretty scary too. I don't know. I don't know which one's the lowest in the food chain, but probably one of those two. But so it is with Galapagos finches. You take the finches and, you know, whether you purposely breed them or nature because of drought or food sources or whatever changes, yeah, you're going to have variation within species. But you know what? They're finches at the beginning and finches at the end, and they've never changed into anything else because they only produce after their kind. So if you hear somebody claiming, well, we see evolution happening all the time in the world, just know what what they're really saying is we see variation within species. You know, we all look different, but we're still humans and we'll always be that way. Uh, Just look at all the different people who all came from one man and one woman because of the great variation species that God has put in there. So no doubt you can purposely isolate and do selective breeding and accentuate certain variations within a kind, but you can never take a kind and turn it into another kind because that takes an alteration of the DNA, which create, which requires intelligence. Now, just think about this. If this were to happen in accident, even if you had a mutation, you have to have a creature that mutates by accident, which is like a, you know, one in a billion or a trillion uh, chances. So let's just say it's one in a billion. Okay. Now, you have to have another one that has one in a billion, you know, chance of the exact same mutation, which is then the astronomical probabilities go up. Then those two have to be able to get together and be able to reproduce, which it makes it even more impossible. And the reason it's so impossible, because it's impossible. It never happens. It can't happen. It won't happen. That's when scientists genetically alter genes of an animal. They combine them, make these chimeras. They're, they're really uh, making creatures that can't reproduce and if they can they go back to what they were look at the end of verse 21 where we again read and god saw that it was good god liked the swarms of creatures in the water and the swarms of birds in the air that he designed uh, all to fulfill his good purpose and to fill up the ecosystem of his creation he said it was good 
And then third, God blessed the creatures. Look at verse 22. And God blessed them and saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas that the birds multiply in the earth. So to bless them means to show favor towards them, to cause them to flourish and reproduce and multiply abundantly. Why? For a lot of different purposes, because they all need each other. And so because we need things to eat. Americans eat eight, eight, get it, eight billion chickens every year. It's a lot of chickens. And think of all the different kinds of fish and crab and lobster and shrimp and scallops. Mm. 200 million tons of fish every year we eat. This is why God blessed the fish and multiplied them because he knew we need something to eat. God also wanted to bless us. He wanted us to stop and look and observe his creation. To just look at it and give him glory and praise him for it. Have you ever seen Canadian geese fly above a river in the falls? They're getting ready to head south and they're in perfect formation and they're honking and they're just flying right above the water. It is so cool. There are huge flocks of starlings that are just so thick and they just blacken the air. You need to go down to the Long Beach Aquarium and see some fish and look at them. And real, look at them. How they're designed. The tuna are just, they are so cool. Look at a tuna. Their side, their side fins or pictorial fins. They, they laid down and fit into a groove in their side. So they're perfectly smooth. And their dorsal fin collapses into a groove in the back. So they're just swimming bullets. They are fast. And just think of that. If all the guys got together, they can't make a hummingbird. We can't make any living thing out of something non-living, let alone a hummingbird. And, and, and have you ever picked up the tail feather of a peacock and actually looked at it? You know, where they have those, those kind of shimmering green eyes and just look at it. I used to tie flies out of them. When you look at them, they're just, they're, they are stunning. That's just amazing. That's amazing what God did. You just see these creatures, you know, which is just bright. It just looks like polished silver on the sides of these fish with, you know, just midnight blue on the top of them and little, you know, cool little designs and eyes. And they're all different. They're all different. Everyone's different. It is hard to make that many things different unless you're God. God spoke all these things out of nothing, nothing and the trillions of flying creatures and water creatures came into existence all over the world with beauty, with design, with purpose, so that men who are created in his image, who can worship him, will see the creation and glorify the creator for who he is. And then we read in verse 23, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you gave us your word so that we could understand more about how great you are. And Father, you've just skimmed over these things as if they were easy for you, of no consequence to you. Yes, you made all these plants, and yes, you made all these flying creatures and sea creatures, and we're going to learn about land animals, and, and yet that's not the big deal. The big deal is that you made man in your image. That is a big deal. 
And it's a big deal that you receive the glory because of it. So may we fulfill our purpose for existing, which is to glorify you, enjoy you forever, to give you praise and honor. And if someone here doesn't know you, and I'm sure there are people who don't know you, May they come to Jesus Christ in humble repentance and faith, believing he died on the cross for them, was buried and rose again on the third day. May they trust Jesus Christ to save them from your wrath and justice to come. And may you change them from the inside out, make them a new creature in Christ. We praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.